Hello, friends. Welcome to Read 'em and Weep. It' me, your host Sammy, and I hope that you guys had a really fun Memorial Day weekend. I did because I got to play a shitload of poker, and that was awesome. Both of the hands that we're doing today came from a session that I played on Friday night, which, in and of itself, wasn't the funnest session per se because I kind of got my bungus pushed in, but. There were a lot of key bluff spots that came up where choosing the right hand candidate was of the utmost importance. And I told you guys on previous episodes, I used to not bluff very much when I first started off at the low stakes. And when I moved up to bigger games, I kind of had to force myself to do it more once I realized that just value betting well and folding well wasn't going to make me a great player. And I'll be honest with you, I used to be really uncomfortable bluffing. I, I disliked the feeling of putting in a big bluff And then sitting there feeling all this anxiety while the other player was tanking. And I'm trying not to look suspicious or give anything away. And I know that whether he calls or folds might define how the entire session goes. And I hated the feeling of embarrassment and looking like an idiot when I'd bluff and I got called and had to show down my my bullshit ass hand. But the more I studied the game, the more I understood that bluffing is just part of it. An essential part of it if you want to be a really good player. You know the old saying, like, if you never get caught bluffing, you're not bluffing enough? It's true. It really is. I think we all started off our poker journeys learning pot odds, right? What kind of odds you're getting to draw to a flush or a straight, etc. But what I've found the more and more I've played poker is the most important pot odds are the odds that the pot is giving you to bluff. You know, like some of the short math on it is if you bluff the size of the pot on the river... The bluff only needs to work 50% of the time or more to show a profit long-term. If you bluff half the pot, it only needs to work 33% of the time or more to be profitable. The other thing I learned that, that made me more comfortable with bluffing is to not make it personal. Like I think a lot of other players bluff because, I don't know, they're bored or they're frustrated or they're targeting a specific player to bluff because they don't like that player. Maybe that player won a pot off them earlier and they're out for vengeance or, or whatever. Maybe they just look down at rags and they think they're Mike McDermott playing against Johnny Chan and they just randomly think, you know what? I'm going to outplay this guy, this hand. I try not to do any of that. I just try to use good situations where the board funds runs out favorably to my range or unfavorably to my opponent and choose good hand candidates. Generally, the ones that have cards which block, i.e. reduce the chances my opponent has the kind of hand that can call my bluff. So in this episode, both of the hands that I have for you today are bluffs that focus on these ideas. Let's get into it. All right, so hand one, we are playing 1-3 at Stone's Gambling Hall, and we are on the button, and there are three limps ahead of us for three. This was an unstraddled hand. It gets to me on the button. I have about a 1,000 in front of me. I look down at a very pretty hand, 6-7 of diamonds. I raise it up to 25. You guys, as you guys know, I'm not a big fan of overlimping. This is just a, a hand where I want to start thinning out the field, applying pressure, and building a pot where I'm uncapped and have position. All things that I like. I raise to 25 over the three limpers. And now the small blind three bets me to 115. Let me tell you a little bit about the small blind. This is about three, three and a half hours into the session. And I've been playing with this guy the whole time. And he's very tight, aggressive, you know, your standard tag, except he does a lot of three betting preflop. He is not the kind of guy who flats a lot. He has been, besides myself, the most active three better at the table. One time he showed nine, eight of hearts uh, on a squeeze three bet. 
I assume he was just doing that for for marketing sake, but certainly he was three betting enough for me to think, okay, this guy is a little bit wide in certain situations. And in this situation, I definitely think he's wide. Again, he's not a guy who flats a lot. And this is really a prime spot for him to attack me. I've been the other most aggressive player at the table. He's obviously seen that. He knows that I'd be raising over limpers pretty wide. I'm on the button, so I could be even wider than normal. And he's in the small blind where he doesn't want to have a lot of flats. So when he three bets me, I think that his range can be pretty wide here. And another thing, he had been three betting quite a bit, uh, all sorts of players at the table, but he three bet me, I think, three times already. And none of the times I fought back, two of them I folded, one of them I flatted with a small pair and he blew me off it on the flop when I didn't hit a set. So I'm getting a little tired of this guy three betting me. Can't say that I enjoy it very much. And in this formation, I think again that he's pretty wide. And so I decide, you know what? I am going to four bet this guy here. And I think I'm going to get a lot of folds. Now the stack sizes are a little awkward. He's three bet me to 115. I have a thousand, but he's the effective stack at only 700. So the challenge with four betting here is that there's no way I can really bet less than a third of effective stacks, meaning that if I four bet and he decides to jam, I basically need to call with all my hand. But I think, you know what? Fuck this guy. Like, I just think I get a lot of folds here. Again, I think he's wide and I go for the four bet. Usually I'd make it a little bit smaller, especially being in position, but This time, I kind of wanted to make it a little larger to let him know that stacks were at risk, that we are getting all in no matter what. And I wanted to make that clear. So I four bet to 300 and he goes deep into the tank. He goes further into the tank than he, I think he would if he were acting. So I'm just sitting there and I'm like, fold, bro, fold, bro, fold, bro, fold. And in the end, he doesn't fold. He jams it all in. I call off the other 400, knowing certainly that I'm behind with my six, seven of diamonds. But, you know, if he's got a hand like Ace King, I'm doing pretty well against that. We're not doing too bad. So I call it off and he immediately flips over pocket aces and we do not win. The aces take it down. I'm embarrassed. Thankfully, I was in position so and I called his all in so I didn't have to show my hands because <laughs> that would have been embarrassing. So he shows me the aces. And I just sigh and nod. I'm like, oh, yeah, tough. You know, pretending I had like pocket queens or whatever. But thankfully, I didn't have to show that hand. Now, we lost $700 in the hand. And I'll be honest with you. I'm never going to be too mad at myself for erring on the aggressive side. It's a fine line when you're an aggressive player like me where, you know, you're trying to stay within your boundaries. And sometimes you get a little out of them. And I think that erring on the aggressive side is fine. But let's be real. This was pretty out of line. Like, obviously, he was three betting a lot. And this was a very wide, light three bet formation. I'd been aggressive. He knew that, all that stuff. This was a prime spot for him to be three betting light. The problem here is my hand candidate. It's bad. I have six, seven of diamonds. So I don't block the best hands he can have, like aces, kings, ace, king, etc. And I do block some of his suited connector bluffs. Also, the stack sizes were such where I knew a four bet committed me to getting it all in. And if we get all in, this hand has no overs if he does have a big pair. So even if he just thinks I'm bullshit and is choosing to go to war with like nines or tens, I'm like pure dust against those hands. I have no overs that I can hit. If I have a hand like ace do suited or even something like that, 
I still have pretty decent equity against something like queens or kings. So generally, your four-bet bluff should either contain an ace, which vastly reduces the chances that he can have pocket aces or ace-king, or it should double block strong hands. So hands like king-queen or king-jack that block ace-king and kings and jacks, etc., those can do in the right spot. This was the right spot. It was the right spot, but it was the wrong hand candidate. The reality was I was just tired of him three-betting me, and I decided to make a stand. But in, in, in truth, I let it get a little bit personal this time. I, I got a little frustrated by him three-betting me a lot, and I forced it. And when you zoom out and really look at it, I dusted off 233 big blinds with 6-7 suited. That ranks pretty damn high on the what-the-fuck-you-doing-bro scale. Jesus, it's it's pretty bad when I put it that way. I definitely deserve to be fired in the goddamn sun for this one. Welcome to Spew City. Population me. I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Not my finest moment, you guys. Not my finest moment. What are you going to do? It, definitely an epic spew by your boy. But again, it all comes back to just not choosing the right hand candidate. I thought it was the right situation, but it wasn't the right hand to do it with. Paid the price. Paid 700 bucks. Not, not, a, not a cheap lesson. Anyways, that's hand one. In hand two, I actually do choose a good bluffing candidate. Stay tuned for that. All right, hand two. We are playing the same session at Stones on Friday night. This hand is straddled and it folds around to this fishy dude. He's only got like 150 bucks in his stack on the button. Of course, he open limps for six. Small blind folds and it gets to me in the big blind. And I look down at pocket tens. Hot fucking damn. I raise it to 25. I think this could be a little larger. I think 30 is actually a better size. Um, but I really wanted to keep the fish in. I just wanted to get his 150 and I didn't want to raise too much of his stack and scare him out. So I raised to 25 and now the player in the straddle, he's a pretty decent player. Um, definitely plays quite a bit too loose pre-flop, does a lot of pre-flop calling, does not three bet a lot, et cetera, et cetera. He flat calls the 25 and we end up going three ways to a flop where I have the worst position. Don't care for that. And it comes king, queen, eight, rainbow. Well, we fucking hate that with pocket 10. So we check. Now the guy in the straddle bets 25 into 75. The button, of course, he's hopeless. He just folds. He never has a good hand there. And it gets back to me. And I decide to peel one. Number one, the size of the bet's pretty small. He bet 25 into 75. So now I'm getting four to one on a call. And certainly I have some backdoor straight draws. I can hit a set. And then maybe I can bluff. But generally, I'm just not going to fold a pair of any rank to a one-third size pot bet like this. So I call, and the turn comes in offsuit four. I check again, and now he checks back. And I think it's really interesting that he checked here. When he checks here, I think it's often like marginal showdown value. So a hand like king X with a marginal kicker or maybe a queen X the types of hands that it really isn't worth betting over multiple streets for value with. So it's okay. Like I figure I just check and lose on most rivers, but the river comes in offsuit ace. So again, the board has run out king, queen, eight on the flop four ace. 
And the ace is actually a really great card for my range. I can have more ace-x than he can, right? I can have hands like ace-queen that just made two pair. I can have ace-jack or ace-ten that flopped gutters and didn't want to bet into multiple players. And more importantly, or just as importantly, I have a really good hand candidate. I have pocket tens. And the really great thing about pocket tens in this spot is that I block some of the best hands that he can continue with. A hand like ace-ten that he he flopped a gutter and decided to take a shot on the turn or on the flop and then decided to shut it down on the turn and see if he hit. I block that hand and then obviously I block the nuts. Jack 10 makes the nuts. I have two 10s, so it vastly reduces the chances that he's got one of those two hands. So all in all, this is a better card for my range than his and I have a really nice hand candidate. Pocket jacks would be pretty much the same, whereas something like pocket nines it's a little more marginal. It would be a good river card for my range, but it's not a real great candidate to bluff with. So in this situation, I'd probably just check and give up with pocket nines. But this is a good candidate, and I decide to make a solid bet. I bet 100 into 125, and he laughs, and he says, man, this is the worst card that could have come. And then I know the fold is coming, and indeed it does come. He mucks the hand, and he says, yeah, I, I, had a, I had a king, but you know, no good there. And I'm like, yeah, lucky river for me. <laughs> and I bluffed his ass. Feels good, man. Uh, Obama putting a medal on himself dot meme. This was a really good spot. Again, good situation and good awareness by me when a card fell that favored my range and not his. And I had a good candidate to complete the bluff with that blocked a couple of the best hands that he could continue against my bet with. It's just a slam dunk. And I think in this spot, it's pretty easy for a lot of, you know, mid-stakes players, low-stakes players to just check and give up. But in this spot, I think, you know, you you just got to be aware. Make the bluff. The candidate's right. The board ran out right. Make it happen. I did in this hand. Congratulations to me. We're proud of ourselves. You know, in the end, I think that these two hands kind of showed the story of why you want to choose good candidates to bluff with. because you can really tilt the odds in your favor, especially when you need a bluff to work 40% of the time or 45% of the time or whatever that looks like. If you can shift those odds in your favor, 10% here, 5% here, your bluffs are just going to end up being way more effective and they're going to work so much more and you're going to reap a shitload of value because you've put yourself in those situations. So I hope this episode was fun. I hope it was valuable. I appreciate you guys listening. And until next week, Play good and run pure.